The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. In the early morning hours of June 23, 2016, special agents followed a set of tire tracks in a rural field in Big Fork, Minnesota. In the distance, a camper squatted ominously against the tree line. The agents had no idea what they'd find inside the camper. They hoped for the best, but were prepared for the worst. Join me now as we uncover the case of a five-year-old girl and her babysitter, Melissa Norby. You'll learn how murder and kidnapping were discovered to be an unimaginable plot concocted by a woman desperate for love and a sick man who would stop at nothing to possess the object of his twisted fantasy. For most little girls, a sleepover's a chance to stay up late giggling, eating junk food, and watching movies way past bedtime. For five-year-old Brittany, the youngest of five children to parents Scott and Amanda, spending the night at the home of her mother's best friend, Missy's place, was something she did often. Melissa Norby, Missy to her friends, was a 35-year-old single mother living in Hillcrest Manor Mobile Park in Bemidji a city of nearly 15,000 in northern Minnesota. Known for its many schools, proximity to parks and forests, and the statue of Paul Bunyan and his trusty sidekick, Babe the Blue Ox. June 21st, 2016, was supposed to have been the usual sleepover for young Brittany at Missy's home. But as Tuesday evening slipped into Wednesday, things took a harrowing turn. Every parent's worst fear come true, and every child's boogeyman come to life. It started with a fire. At 3.30 a.m., firefighters were called to Hillcrest Manor, located at 3900 Irvine Avenue Northwest, where the mobile home shared by Melissa and her son was burning out of control. An explosion had rocked the home, blowing the windows right out of the trailer. Once the flames had been put out, firefighters found a gas can in one of the bedrooms, which led them to believe this was no tragic accident, instead a case of arson. And as it turned out, this fire had been set on purpose, an attempt to cover up something far worse. Inside the trailer, the severely burned body of Melissa Norby was discovered concealed under a charred mattress in the middle of her home. To investigate, agents of the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, known as the BCA, were called in. Upon further examination of the crime scene, they found that Melissa's body was fully clothed, her hands bound above her head with duct tape, and her feet tied together. 
Investigators would later discover that the manner for death was strangulation. Not only were they looking at arson, now they were also looking at murder. On June 22nd, uh, at approximately 3.30 a.m., the Bemidji Police Department and Bemidji Fire Department were dispatched to a report of a house fire in the 3900 block of Irvin Avenue. Upon arrival, they discovered the house was fully engulfed in flames. After the fire department gained control of the fire, an adult body was discovered deceased inside that residence. The body has been sent to the Ramsey County Medical Examiner's Office for positive identification. That information will be released after proper family notification. Melissa Norby wasn't the typical woman most people would mark for murder. Described by her family as kind and generous, she was always willing to support the people in her life. Maybe one of the reasons she seemed so eager to give was because she had low self-esteem, as one family member shared. Or perhaps it was because she wanted nothing but to make those around her happy. Sadly, Melissa's childhood had been traumatic, and though the nature of that trauma is unknown, what's been made clear is that she wasn't believed when she came forward. For Melissa, her adult relationships read like a textbook case of a woman who was desperate to be loved, willing to accept whatever she could get, whether it was in her best interest or not. The father of her son was convicted of sexual assault in the third degree in 2002. Then her husband was convicted of indecent exposure before they divorced in 2010. More recently, Melissa had been seeing a man she called Chance, something that worried her cousin, one of her closest friends, Tuesday Colopy. The relationship with Chance was on and off, but in 2015, Melissa told Tuesday that after an argument, Chance had beaten her and sexually assaulted her. When Melissa sent her cousins photos of the bruises, Tuesday urged Melissa to break it off, and everyone thought she had. But now Melissa was dead, murdered in a truly horrific fashion. However, the worst was yet to come. After finding Melissa's body in the charred rubble, Investigators exhaustively searched the rest of the home for any sign of her son, who they feared may have also died in the blaze. Thankfully, they soon learned he was actually safe and sound at Melissa's cousin's Tuesday's place that night, four hours away in the Twin Cities. It was a lucky break, but that luck wouldn't last for long. A little after 12.30 p.m., Amanda, the mother of Brittany, arrived on the scene absolutely frantic, telling authorities that Melissa had been babysitting her daughter at the time of the fire. Amanda begged them to search the burned-out home for her, but agents assured her it had already been thoroughly checked and there was no other bodies on scene. Now on top of arson and murder, it appeared they also had a missing child on their hands. Things were becoming more and more complicated at every turn. Immediately, officials sprang into action, with police and volunteers searching the mobile home park, nearby swamps and woods. Everyone was asked if they'd seen the missing girl, but no one had. Amanda had known Melissa for 30 years and was sure Melissa wouldn't have given Brittany to someone else to look after without telling her. Brittany vanishing just didn't make any sense, 
not to Amanda or police. There had to be a missing piece to the puzzle, and police knew they needed to find it as soon as possible. This is when they turned their attention to Brittany's parents, Amanda and Scott. After questioning them thoroughly and checking their phones and alibis, police were confident they had nothing to do with the little girl's disappearance. The distraught parents only wanted their daughter back. So what happened to Brittany? Had she been abducted? It was time to look a little more closely at Melissa Norby, and they did. Officials were about to discover some dark secrets lurking in her past. Detectives immediately set to work, searching for someone, anyone, who might have had a motive for the shocking crime. Predatory offenders in the area had their homes searched, and then investigators began focusing on people who may have been close to Melissa. When they combed through her contacts, there was one person who seemed suspicious. One of Melissa's ex-boyfriends, who had an arson charge on his record, but his alibi checked out and he was dropped as a suspect. It wasn't until police spoke to Melissa's friends that they came across their first real lead. One friend told police, Melissa was into sexual role-play, not necessarily S&M, but more like daddy-little-girl kind of scenarios. Something Melissa had been doing recently with a man nicknamed Chance. Police knew they needed to track down the man named Chance Melissa's friend had mentioned, and although it didn't appear like much of a lead, at this point, with a five-year-old child missing, any lead was a good one, and time was of the essence. But who was Chance? Melissa's cousin Tuesday knew and filled detectives in. Chance was the man Melissa had been seen back in 2015, the man who'd beaten and sexually assaulted her, the man that Tuesday had begged Melissa to stop seeing. But Chance was a code name Melissa had given him. The man's real name was Jacob Kim. When detectives uncovered Chance's real name, the investigation immediately ramped up into overdrive. They were already all too familiar with 32-year-old Jacob Kin, and the registered sex offender was the last person they wanted involved in the disappearance of a little girl. Jacob was the owner of a local food truck called Jake's Eats, and at the time was on probation. By 2013, he'd already been convicted on multiple counts of possession of child pornography. But while he was in the process of dealing with those charges, he was still doing everything he could to satisfy his disturbing urges. In February 2013, Jacob had been investigated after placing an ad on Craigslist looking for a two to nine-year-old girl to be photographed in skimpy outfits, offering $150 an hour. After the sheriff's office sent an undercover deputy to pose as the mother of the little girl, Jacob was arrested and convicted on charges related to that offense. Although he was sentenced to five years in prison, the sentence was stayed under the condition he served less than four months in jail and did not violate the terms of his probation. It turned out Melissa had been well aware of Jacob's sordid past and knew that Jacob wasn't allowed to be around children, including her own. Still, this didn't stop her from having a relationship with him, at least for a while, before he'd beaten her 
and she claimed to have ended things with them. Needless to say, police quickly pinned down Jacob as their prime suspect and put the call out to find him. Around 10.30 p.m., detectives arrived at Jacob's home but found no sign of him or Brittany. But they had no plans of giving up and contacted Jacob's probation officer who arranged for Jacob to meet with BCA special agents to be questioned about the missing girl. Just after midnight on June 23rd, Jacob Kinn stepped through the doorway of the sheriff's station and sat down for an interview with special agents Paul Girardi and Chad Musaeus. Although Jacob admitted to knowing Melissa and hearing about the missing girl in the fire, he claimed he hadn't spoken to Melissa in months. When they asked about his whereabouts, Jacob told the agents he'd been fishing at Clear Lake, about 50 miles north of Bemidji. Little did Jacob know, agents had already been hard at work determining where Jacob had been the previous day by using cell phone towers to ping his phone's location, which confirmed he'd actually been 40 miles away from where he was claiming to have been, near the town of Big Fork. They knew Jacob was lying in hopes of throwing them off his trail. You see that lake right there? Yeah. That's where you are. Mm-hmm. That's where your cell phone is. Okay. That's... Yeah, I, I said I got that. Okay. I, I just wanted to show you the map, a clear picture. So that's, you know... Yeah. And your cell phone tower is closer to that than it should have pinged up. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I said I got that. I don't know how that would have happened, but yeah, I wasn't in Big Ford. I had no reason to be in Big Ford. I don't know why you know, pinged off the Big Ford Tower. I have no reason to lie about where I was tonight. Today I was working, yesterday I was working, and I was fishing, and I haven't seen either one of them or talked to either one of them. But nobody can put you fishing. That's the hard part. And, and Even if people did see me, like yesterday. Jake, your cell phone... I don't know who it was. Your cell phone is not even close to where you say you're fishing. That's That's concerning to us. It's, yeah, and I understand that, but I can't explain it. You should have been within a five mile radius of where you were fishing, and it's not. It's like 40 miles away. Like I said, yeah, that's concerning, because I kind of, it's like, oh, what was he doing? Mm-hmm. But I can't explain it, because I was freaking fishing. As the agents continue questioning Jacob about his relationship with Melissa, he was adamant he had nothing to do with her, at one point telling them he wasn't even attracted to her or that he ever dated her. When agents showed him a recent photo of five-year-old Brittany, he admitted to knowing who she was from a photo Melissa had shown him years ago. But if he'd last seen a photo of Brittany when she was just a toddler, how could he so easily recognize her as a preschooler? Why would Melissa say she has a relationship with you? She could say anybody. She could. Why would she give your name? So, I don't know. and that's if it's not just one person, Jake. Her son talks about you. Her cousin, coworkers, this girl in Nebraska. That's five different people that say you. It's you. I've never met any of them. So. I, I know. So why why is Melissa describing you? She could say. To her friend in the city, she could say she's dating the mayor of Bemidji. 
Right? Yeah. Why you? I don't know. Because she had a crush on me a long time ago and she wanted to date. I, I already told you this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's years ago. It, you know, a year ago, two years ago, yes. Yeah. It, it just doesn't make sense that she doesn't even work at Anderson Fabric anymore. I don't According know. According to you, you haven't, you haven't seen her. I haven't um, seen her or talked to her in six, eight months. Okay. You recognize this little girl? I already answered that question. When the agents pleaded with Jacob to help them bring Brittany home, he refused to budge, no matter how many opportunities he was given. Jake, something bad happened. Okay? Something bad happened. Something if bad something happened. If something got out of control, and somebody ended up dead, and this little girl is somewhere, whether she's alive or whether she's gone, we have an obligation to everyone to bring her home. Jacob, you can help us with that in any way. I would if I could, but I, I don't Jake, know where if she's you, at. Jake, if you could, I know it's tough. I know it's really tough to, to think about what's going to happen and all that kind of stuff, but I'm saying this right now. There are people out there that would support you if you said, you know what, I made a mistake. I made a mistake, I overreacted, and this little girl is, is uh, we can bring her home. Let's do that. The three of us together, let's bring this little girl home to her parents. They need the closure. No matter how hard they tried to appeal to Jacob's conscience, he just continued to deny any involvement in Brittany's disappearance. Sivir, I don't know where she's at. But she I don't us. have her. I, the closure. You're, you're insisting that I have her or I know where she's at. I am. And I don't. Okay. I've told you my whereabouts. The only thing that's sketchy is where I was tonight. And that's that's the big issue. Yeah. That's a huge issue. I, for I can't explain that. I know where I was. And, that, I the, and that's our worry. Jake, if, we if you did something to this little girl, that wouldn't happen. Why? Because I don't have her. I didn't have her. I wasn't there. That's why. Okay. I, you know, the only the, what you have is a bunch of people saying I'm dating her, which happened before when she told people I was dating her. No, this is just recent no. stuff. Yeah, and Jake, it's not dating. Jake, it's just sex. Yeah, Jake, oh, okay, it's rough okay. sex. And you know, if she if she got choked down and she died on accident, let's talk about that. Let's fix it. Okay, that's fixable. Okay, she was into bondage. She was into rough sex. If this little girl. You panicked and did something to her? Maybe she's okay. Maybe we can get her home. I hope she is okay. So do I. I didn't do anything. But if she's not okay, we can explain that too. I didn't do anything to her and I haven't seen her. Okay. And I'm sorry, I can't help you find her. The interview continued for an entire four hours without the agents getting Jacob to confess to anything. He was their best and only lead and they wanted to hold him in custody but simply didn't have enough evidence. When they asked Jacob for permission to search his Jeep, he refused, claiming he didn't trust them. But somehow, before Jacob walked out of the station, they finally managed to convince him to not only leave his Jeep behind, but his clothes and cell phone as well. It wouldn't be long now before they found the evidence they'd been looking for.
When agents cracked into Jacob's cell phone, they discovered an avalanche of incriminating evidence, including explicit images of children, images he'd obsessively searched for all day long, as well as searches for roofies, horse tranquilizers, lethal doses of medication, and young Brittany's home address. Most shockingly, there were a series of text messages they managed to recover between Jacob and Melissa. It was worse than anything they could have imagined. The text exchanged by Jacob and Melissa displayed a perfectly documented conspiracy, a plan to kidnap Brittany, the daughter of Melissa's best friend, as a gift for Jacob. Only a week before the fire, murder and kidnapping, Jacob and Melissa had come up with a plan. Originally, they planned for Jacob to fake an assault and carjacking on a night when Melissa was taking care of Brittany. During the fake robberies, Brittany would be abducted. In the text messages, they gave the five-year-old a nickname and referred to her as Jacob's toy. But that plan fell apart when Brittany didn't go to Melissa's house that evening, which infuriated Jacob. He just couldn't wait. All he wanted was to finally have his twisted fantasy come true. And Melissa, well, she was willing to do whatever it took to keep Jacob in her life. A week later, Brittany did go over to Melissa's house, but this time, there'd be no fake carjacking. But why had things strayed so far from their original plot? Agents theorized Melissa had willingly allowed herself to be tied up by Jacob, fully clothed, so perhaps this was a part of another attempt to fake an assault. But then Jacob changed the plan because Jacob was only using Melissa to get to Brittany. Once Melissa was tied up, Jacob had no reason to keep her around anymore. He finally had what he wanted all along. So he murdered Melissa and then burned her home to the ground. After looking through Jacob's cell phone, Police now had zero doubt about who their killer and abductor was. But where was Brittany? They knew at this point that every second mattered, and they needed to find her as fast as humanly possible. While examining the underside of Jacob's Jeep, they noticed plant matter and mud, and they knew from Jacob's cell tower records that he'd been in Big Fork after murdering Melissa. So agents Don Newhouse and Rob Frack raced to Big Fork in hopes of finding something that would lead them to Brittany. A well-timed phone call from the sheriff's station informed them that someone with the last name of Kin actually owned a property in the area, which belonged to Jacob's brother. When agents arrived at the Kin property in Big Fork, the sun was just coming over the horizon. Amazingly, because of a heavy rain the night before, they spotted a clear set of tire tracks that matched Jacob's vehicle, leading the agents on foot from the pavement to a gravel road, and then finally to a hayfield. At 5.20 a.m., 26 hours after the fire, the tire tracks led agents directly to a pop-up camper secluded in a rural tree line. They knew they were going to find something inside, but there was no way to tell just what it would be. When they got to the camper, they found the door being held shut by a roll of black electrical tape, a makeshift lock. Agent Frack had his cell phone ready and began filming as he opened the door. 
Seconds later, Agent Newhouse was standing just outside the door when he heard Frack begin talking to someone else. A tiny voice emanating from within the dark camper. Brittany was alive. In just 24 hours from the time firefighters had responded to the inferno at Melissa's trailer, police had successfully solved the case. More importantly, they found the missing girl. Inside the camper, Brittany was wearing pink pajamas, her ankles wrapped tightly with tape. She'd managed to free herself from the tape that had been around her arms and over her mouth. She'd been left with no access to food, water, or bathroom. The five-year-old was able to describe the man who brought her to the camper, the vehicle he drove, the name decaled on the side of it, and told the agents about the kittens she'd played with at Jacob's house. Heartbreakingly, that's also where Jacob had assaulted her. He then took Brittany to the trailer, hoping no one would ever find her. Terrifyingly, Jacob had told Brittany he wouldn't be coming back for her. After discovering Brittany, the agents snapped a photo of her and sent it to the agents back at the station with a text message reading, Arrest him. Early this morning, two BCA agents were canvassing an area north of Bemidji where they believed Mr. Kin had been. They discovered fresh tire tracks. They followed the tire tracks through a wooded area where they located a pop-up camper. Inside, they found Brittany. She has been taken to a medical facility for examination and treatment. At this point in the investigation, it appears as though the property where she was found is owned by a relative. Jacob William Kin has been arrested for kidnapping and is currently incarcerated in the Beltrami County Jail awaiting formal charges. This continues to be a complex and ongoing investigation. Now we have shifted gears and we are looking at learning everything we can about this timeline, the motive, and whether anyone else was involved. It does not appear to be in this case, but we still want to be positive and explore that possibility. How is Brittany doing today? Well, she's uh, safe and alive. How much of a relief is it that she was found alive? It just seems like so many of these types of cases end badly. Well, clearly it's a fantastic result. We couldn't ask for a better result. Get her back alive. Is it rare? I mean, is, is, is it rare to have a kidnapping of this nature and then find a person alive like that? Well, I don't think statistically speaking I can give an accurate answer. Uh, for my 16-year career in law enforcement, this is our first, thankfully, and I'm glad we had a positive outcome. Within 90 minutes, Jacob was found driving his dad's truck toward Big Fork when he was apprehended and brought back into custody. His next interrogation was going to become Jacob's worst nightmare come true. We had no contact with the little girl. See her. She didn't come to your food station. You didn't see her at uh, Melissa's house. You don't know her parents. And there's going to be no connection between you and her. That's right. Whatsoever, in any way, shape, or form. Whatsoever. Okay. And no connection between you and Melissa. Well, not Well, I mean, when I say connection, is there going to be evidence that says you were in Melissa's house? Okay. Um, and that gas can that we talked about showed you a picture. Is that 
any of your evidence going to be on that, you know, DNA or fingerprints? So nothing's changed from last night. Hundred percent sure. Ninety-five percent sure. What's the five percent reason? I'm tired and groggy, and you guys kept me up all night, and I yeah. tried to sleep. I, you know, sleep in a vehicle for two hours, and I'm still well, tired, groggy, extremely tired. Yes, but you didn't really answer my question. What was the question? What changed between two hours ago and now? Like. What changed? Agent Girardi leaned forward and showed Jacob the photo of Brittany, alive, safe, and nestled in the arms of an exhausted but beaming Agent Frack. Jacob was silent for a few moments before reluctantly nodding. Everything had changed. Is that 5% that you're talking about that you're not sure of? No. Start over. What do you got to tell us? Now is the time, Jake. Okay, we we know more than you think we do right now, right. and and now is the time for you to fill in those blanks. And now is the time for you to come clean and tell us what really's happened here, and what's really gone on. Now is the time for you to stand up and do that. Take us through the night. <clears throat> Start talking to us again a few weeks to a month ago. Okay. Um, she had gotten a hold of me and we talked um, and we weren't dating but we, we actually hadn't had a sexual relationship but we you know role played on the phone role played and what was her role it was daddy daughter um that kind of stuff okay um then i went over there the other night what what night today's thursday Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh, okay. Trying to set that on get you turning or not before I go farther. Did you go there for her or for Melissa? Who was it? It was for Melissa, but it was Did you know that she was gonna be there? Yeah. Jacob admitted that Brittany had been at Melissa's house when he'd come to visit her once before and the encounter had set off his warped fantasy into motion. That was the last of what Jacob was willing to say, and he asked for an attorney. But by then, agents had all the evidence they needed. Jacob Kinn was arrested and had a $500,000 bail he couldn't meet. His defense team found him unhelpful and unresponsive, suggesting he suffered from physical and mental illness and that he didn't walk, talk, respond to stimuli, and often urinated on himself. It was alleged that Jacob choked Melissa to death with a belt. At the same time, Brittany was present in the home. He then abducted her and brought her back to his home, where he tied her up. Next, he went back to Melissa's trailer and set it ablaze before bringing Brittany to the camper on his brother's property in Big Fork. Jacob took a plea deal and pled guilty on June 6th, 2017 to kidnapping, sexual conduct with a minor in the first degree, and unintentional murder in the second degree, while also admitting to four aggravating factors in regard to his murder of Melissa. 
unusual cruelty, mutilation, causing harm to her loved ones, and committing the murder in Brittany's presence. He pled guilty to unintentional murder because there was a chance his defense team could claim. Melissa enjoyed being choked for sexual gratification and that her murder had been accidental. All the same, the judge sentenced Jacob to double the Minnesota guideline sentence, 33 years alone for the murder and 52 years in total. Because Jacob chose a plea deal, Brittany was spared the horrific ordeal of recounting the traumatic events in court. Her mother Amanda said that while Brittany is still processing and coping with the trauma of her experience, she's resilient. Brittany was subjected to traumatic experiences that no person, let alone a child, should ever be forced to endure. But she's proven that she's a survivor, and because she's got a terrific support system from law enforcement who work tirelessly to rescue her and the friends and family that love her, Brittany has the promise of creating a bright and happy future. Follow The Minds of Madness on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, extra content, and Patreon-exclusive episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. To find us on Instagram and Facebook, search The Minds of Madness, and on Twitter using the handle at madnesspod. And also... By checking out our sponsors and using our promo codes, you're also helping support the show. We've got all the links in our episode notes. So until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>